at the end of the day, I really just had to start to look inward a little bit and think about what I wanted to do. And it was just about taking that step. It didn't matter what, but it was just about taking that step and making a decision to make a change. And that's when I guess it all started with the running. I'm Katrina Blowers and welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast dedicated to reframing the confidence conversation and uncovering the hacks to conquer fear, imposter syndrome and the self-doubt holding us back from chasing our big dreams. I believe courage is contagious. So each week I'll bring you heart to hearts with my favorite people sharing their biggest confidence challenges and how they overcame them and inspiring us with gems of wisdom they've learned along the way. Thanks so much for listening. Claiming your confidence starts now. Jackie Bell is a force to be reckoned with. At just 25, she's made history as the youngest person in the world to run ultramarathons on all seven continents. Now, these races are not for the faint-hearted. We are talking about running for five to seven hours every day through deserts and snow, all while carrying all your food and equipment and dealing with sometimes crippling injuries. Despite that inner steel, Jackie's warm, funny and determined and she's got a smile that belies the demons she's had to conquer to go after her dreams. In this incredible conversation, Jackie gets raw and vulnerable about her addiction battles and the moment she hit rock bottom, waking up in a Bali hospital with more than 200 stitches and $30,000 in medical fees and what it took for her to turn her life around. She talks about finding your purpose and how she learned to switch off from all the critics and who to listen to and who not to. What she's learned from racing that separates people who quit from those who don't. Her number one confidence hack before she gets up and speaks on stage or takes on new opportunities. The red flag she now recognises while scrolling on social media and the boundaries she put in place to protect her well-being. Why you shouldn't wait until things are perfect before you take a big leap. And for everything else we mention, you can check out in the show notes over at www.katrinablowers.com. When I talk about courage being contagious, well, Jackie has courage in spades. And I know you're going to walk away from this episode inspired to rise above whatever might have been holding you back in your own life. So let's talk confidence with Jackie Bell. All right. Well, at the beginning of every episode, we just kind of want to paint the scene for people because audio is, you know, you can't really see people and imagine what they're like. So describe for us what you're wearing and where you are right now. Well, as you just heard, I was um, trying to boss my mum around to make sure that she wasn't (laughs) in the background telling me to do something around the house. Um, So I am sitting in the living room. I've actually got some pants on and a country road t-shirt. I'm not in active wear today, which is um, a bit of a different one for me. So I'm, I'm going the casual vibe today. Yeah, that's got to be a change for you because do you mostly wear active wear? I'm usually in sports gear just because I'm always training and stuff, but I actually don't enjoy wearing active wear on a day-to-day basis. I think because I wear it all the time. So it feels nice to put on some pants and a t-shirt and something different. Yeah, excellent. Now, tell me a bit for people who don't know who you are, tell us a bit about who you are and let's go kind of back in time and journey through how you got to where you are today. So I am 25 years of age and I live here in Brisbane and I am an ultramarathon runner and I guess it wasn't really a straightforward path to get to where I am now. Um, I actually was a tennis player back in school and I've tried my hand at every sport you can imagine. Um, but I guess running has always been something that I've really enjoyed. And I love the feeling of like after a long run, the endorphins. And yeah, I think I've just always come back to running and in the different sports that I play, it's always been the one consistent thing for me. So um, yeah, now I guess running is my life pretty much. 
Now, one of the things that I loved to discover about you when I was doing a little bit of research is that stubbornness has always been a trait for you, right back to when you mentioned tennis and you mentioned how um, you were very good as a tennis player. But one of the things that I read about you was that you used to throw a few tantrums on the court and your dad would make you run home. Is that right? (laughs) I think it was his way of um, trying to teach me to not have a bad temper and have shocking behaviour on the tennis court. He, um, (laughs) yeah, he wouldn't stand for the swearing and carrying on. So yeah, he would, um, he'd pick up the balls and he'd jump in his car and drive home and, um, and so I learned to run home quite quickly from the tennis courts. But <laughs> How I don't far think, away did you have to run? I think it was about seven kilometres. But, <gasps> um, but he'd always come back and check on me or something. I wasn't in danger or anything. Um, but it was pretty far for a young kid. <laughs> My goodness. And I guess it taught you a bit of a lesson, did it? Or did it just make you more, more determined? I, I think I actually ended up turning the perspective of it into, um, oh, this is just a bit of extra fitness. So I, And I also um, usually then miss down on the first class at school. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from tennis, you know, sport and, and training, and I guess that discipline of training was always in your blood. Was there a moment that you realised that tennis wasn't going to be the thing for you? Yeah, I think I just kind of looked ahead and I was a bit of a realist and I saw these other tennis players who, you know, they were on the cusp of making it professionally but they weren't quite and it's quite a difficult position to be in as a tennis player. If you're not at the very top, you're kind of struggling to make ends meet and you're travelling and, you know, I didn't want to turn around at 30 and having not made it um, and then not really having a fallback and kind of putting all my eggs in one basket. And um, I, I don't know why, but I, I said that I wasn't ever going to be good enough, but I just think I didn't love it enough and I didn't really have the dedication to want to keep playing um, five plus hours a day. And it was at that age of about 16, 17 when, you know, high school parties were starting and everyone was hanging out with their friends. And I guess I chose the friends and having fun over wanting to really commit to um, that sport. Yeah. So you grew up in Brisbane and was it your parents who instilled that that sense of discipline and that competitive spirit in you or was that just something that was innate in you from a young age? I, I think that's just me. Um, I used to have to run in and wake my parents up at, you know, 5am to take me to sport and I'm sure they would have preferred to um, sleep in a little bit longer. But um, it was, yeah, it was always me who was super competitive and Um, they'd try and get me to relax a little bit, but, um, yeah, that was just me. My goodness. So was your brother like that too? Yes and no. He played a lot of sports as well, but he didn't have that same feistiness about him with all of it, I guess you could say. And he's, um, he's a little bit of a calmer mentality than I am. He's not quite as, um, all or nothing type person. Yeah. So let's fast forward to when you were at Ipswich Girls Grammar, you're in grade 11, and I guess you in school, it just wasn't something that you felt like, you know, you just felt like you weren't that kind of academic kind of person. Is that right? Um, I think that I didn't really connect what I was learning at school to what I saw myself doing after school. And I didn't just drop out in year 11. I really went and put in a lot of research into, okay, this is what I want to be doing in a few years. And I sat down with my parents and I said, hey guys, like I can leave school now and I can study my cert for in fitness um, because I'd already done my cert three in fitness through school and I was working as a PT already, um, part of an internship program. And so I said to them, you know, I can study my cert four, then I can go on and do my diploma, then my next diploma, and then I can still get into university into these different courses. Um, and when they saw that I'd really planned out a different, uh, I guess, an alternative way for me to get into university and have those options still, and I, they didn't really have anything they could say other than, you know, okay then. <laughs> Even that though, Jackie, at what, 16 or how, however old you were then, to have that sort of 
propensity to have such foresight and you'd really thought it all out. You weren't just saying to your parents, I, I want to leave school. You, yeah. You'd thought of a, a fallback plan and you'd thought through all the options so they couldn't say no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I went with them. Uh, I went to them with a really uh, solid plan on all of it because otherwise they would have just said, no, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of determination and that kind of um, the, the forward planning that's, I guess, you know, that's always been a part of who you are, isn't it? And that, to me, says a lot about being confident. Yeah, I think that when um, I come up with an idea or, you know, something that truly, um, I, I truly really want to do, then I, I guess, like having the confidence in myself to take it on isn't something that I, I lack. Um, yeah, I think I just have that confidence within myself that if I want to do something and I know it's the right choice for me, then I'll kind of make it happen. I love that. Now, the, the next few years for you, there were some real highs and some real lows. And um, what what really strikes me in looking back at your story and connecting all the dots is you've always had this real drive to seek your purpose. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think there's I can't really do anything in my life unless um, unless there's some meaning, I guess, to it um, for me. And I think, well, just before I took on, you know, the desert races and stuff, um, my credibility for following through on things didn't look very good on paper because it looked like I was chopping and changing a lot. But I think for me it was just that I didn't want to give up on finding my thing and finding what was that really made me tick so yeah and and even then to to for a lot of people that desire to find their purpose doesn't come until kind of they have a midlife crisis or something so for you to have that hunger from such a young age again are these the sort of deep conversations that you would have with your mum and dad um Yes, I was always coming out with different things that I wanted to do and then they'd always 100% support me and um, I'd dive right into it and, you know, research all the different ideas like around whatever that sort of thing was. But um, I guess after those few years where I lost a bit of credibility with them, I remember when I sat down and said, hey, guys, I'm going to run these four desert races across these continents they kind of thought it was a bit of a joke and, you know, it was something that I couldn't just one run one of the races and then pull out or I couldn't really half-ass that sort of thing. <laughs> and so I had to really um, build back their confidence in me and, like, they said, no, you're not going to be able to do that. And so I was stubborn, as you mentioned earlier, and thought straight away, okay, I'm definitely going to do this now. And Um, It took a lot of dedication over, you know, eight months. Each training session I did, each time I said I was going to do something, I did it um, to, yeah, get them to believe in me again. Yeah. All right. Let's let's backtrack a little as to perhaps potentially why um, you had felt like people around you had lost a little bit of faith in you. What what had happened in those intervening years between when you left year 11 and when you started doing the ultra marathons? Um, for a few years, I just was moving around in jobs a little bit. You know, I'd move to one place and be there for six months and I'd be working in a job, but then I didn't find that there was um, much growth for me and I wasn't learning anything more and wasn't really being pushed and the money would be okay and stuff, but it just wasn't, um, it wasn't enough for me. I wanted this bigger thing, I guess. Um And then I found myself partying on the weekends to make up for probably a lack of being challenged in my work life. Um, And so I was out having fun on weekends and um, chopping and changing jobs. And then I ended up having a really bad year where I was playing a number of sports and I broke about five bones and had my tonsils out. And then I just ended up in this vicious cycle of um, prescription painkillers and partying and yeah, you could say I was on a pretty rough downward spiral. Yeah, and you've said that you were surprised by how easy it was for you to to obtain those prescription drugs and, and how really you were just wanting help but you kind of kept getting prescribed different medications. Yeah, I um, I, I broke my first bone uh, in my wrist and 
like they prescribed me some strong painkillers straight away. And then I didn't really get hooked on them immediately. It was only after I then got my tonsils out that I was once again given a whole um, another lot. And then from there, I kind of just started taking them. And then before you know it, you're, you know, having them every day and then you become quite dependent on them. Um, yeah. And it definitely wasn't hard to get my hands on when I had so many different injuries and things going on. And for someone who's always been so disciplined and driven, uh, I guess even making that admission that you had an addiction to something like that must have been, must have taken a lot of inner soul searching. Yeah, it was actually my housemates that I was living with at the time that picked up that like it was a bit of a problem for me. And um, I don't think we any of us knew how much of a problem it was until I was like, okay, I need to change something um, because I could tell that little areas of my life were starting to really fall apart Um, because you're just not making conscious decisions at all. And that's when I decided that I was going to go and do my yoga course in Bali um, and kind of have a clean slate. And um, it was a five-week course over there doing my 200-hour yoga teacher training. And I just thought it really, I guess, ground me again and take me back to my roots and everything. And unfortunately, um, well, or perhaps fortunately, it took going to Bali and having something even more extreme happen, um, kind of lead to the next chapter. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I finished the yoga teacher training course and it was a tough five weeks, you know, lots of up and down still. Um, There was no like light bulb moment of I'm fixed, but at the end of the five weeks, I felt really good within myself and, um, yeah, everything was kind of falling back into place. And I I actually got a job over there working in a gym and it was my g- dream job. You know, it um, at such a young age, getting a job in Bali and a health and fitness retreat right on the beach is um, pretty amazing. And I remember sending my parents a selfie actually. And I was like, oh, great first week at work. Um, everything's really good, feeling really happy. Um, just heading off to dinner with my friends. And it was about 5 p.m. And It was probably about 15 minutes later that um, I was just driving to dinner and I was pulled off my scooter via my handbag or whatever. And and then, yeah, the next 10 hours was spent in five different hospitals and um, until I landed in the fifth one where they were able to, I guess, take care of me. And you had some pretty severe injuries. Uh, I understand you even had some bleeding on the brain. Yeah, they weren't sure. That's why they kept moving hospitals because they were worried that I had bleeding to the brain. And um, uh, I I don't think I ended up having any bleeding on my brain. It was fine. But um, I had over 200 stitches in my body and surgery was about six hours. And I ended up being in hospital over there for nearly 10 days before I was fit enough to fly home. And is it true that you didn't even have recollection of what had even happened for, for quite some time? Yeah, it was kind of piecing together the whole night. Like there's a lot of memory loss there. Out of the 10 hours after it immediately happened, I only remember snippets of it. Um, I was really delirious and um, all over the shop. So, yeah, it was a pretty terrifying accident. So what happened then? So you just started getting your life back on track and then this, uh, just a major setback. Yeah, I don't think that I really dealt with it Um like the accident as such straight away. I I kind of was all right. Obviously, I'm clearly all right with physical pain. That um, That's something that I can kind of deal with. Um, so I probably just kind of brushed over it. I came home and healed for a month. And then um, I ended up going back to Bali. They held my job over there for me. I didn't want this accident to kind of, you know, ruin my Bali experience as scary as it was. You know, things can happen anywhere. You can get mugged wherever you go. Um, so I decided to go back over and, um, I was probably in Bali for another six months before the gym actually closed down. Um, and then it was when I came back home that I guess all those deeper issues I'd swept under the rug once again, kind of, um, came to the forefront. (laughs) That's something I've learned the hard way as well, that when you try and sweep things under the carpet and you don't lean into the uh, discomfort of things they have a habit of coming back to bite you so how did that happen for you? Um, I just everything I was doing before um, uh, all the different drugs I was taking and things to avoid whatever I was feeling um, I guess I just really um, ended up in a bit of a bad 
path with that. And um, rock bottom for me was, you know, um, being pretty overweight, very unhappy within myself, um, out of a job and just having no direction or drive or anything anymore. And, you know, this is coming from someone who is used to waking up pretty early in the morning, getting up and exercising, seeing friends all the time and um, loving every day to I don't really see the purpose in anything anymore. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I just felt like it was um, I was watching everyone else live these amazing lives and I was just moping around and I had no idea what step it was to even take next. Yeah, how old were you at this stage? Um, I was, this was about three and a half years ago, so I would have been about 22. And feeling too like, you know, <laughs> that the universe was conspiring against you in a way because you'd done everything. You you put the hard yards in, you'd overcome an addiction, you'd moved overseas, you'd done a yoga course and it's <laughs> like, come on, what more do I have to do here? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think even though I'd done all these things and this, I think at the end of the day, I really just had to start to look inward a little bit and think about what I wanted to do. And it was just about taking that step. It didn't matter what, but it was just about taking that step and making a decision to make a change. And that's when I guess it all started with the running. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So rock bottom, you, you're overweight, you're looking around, you're thinking you, at 22 that, you know, that you, you, you're not on track with where you're meant to be. How did you dig deep and, and get yourself out of that hole? Because a lot of us have found ourselves there. I certainly have at various points in my life. What was it that kind of said to you, no, Jackie, this is not how my life's going to be and I'm going to claw my way out? I think I just realized that like I was the one missing out, you know, no one else was. Um, and if I wasn't going to make a change for the better, then um, I wasn't going to be able to have a better life. And yeah, I was going to continue being unhappy and going down this bad path. So it really was up to me to get it together and make a change. And where did you get that confidence from to know that you were capable of more? I don't know if I did have have the confidence in myself to, you know, overhaul all these bad habits and not fall back into one of the traps. But I I remember sitting there and I thought, okay, I'm going to pick a, a race, um, like one of these ultra marathons. And I knew that this race would take absolutely everything to be able to do it. Like to be able to run 250K, you need to have the <laughs> utmost dedication to your training, yes, you do. your eating, your sleep, everything. And so I figured if I chose something that really took, was going to take everything for me to do, um, like each little, each day um, that I made better decisions with my health and life, it kind of built this in, inner confidence in me, you know, and um, every little small decision you make, it builds this bigger confidence within yourself that you're going to be able to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, definitely. And um, one of the best quotes about confidence that I love is that confidence is an action. It's not a feeling. The action comes first and the feeling comes later. And how you've just described that, it's taking daily small steps and you build confidence as you go along. But let's go back to most people when they're in a rut, they're overweight, they're thinking that their life is not on track. They just go, okay, I'm going to join the gym or okay, I'm going to run 10Ks. You decided to run an ultra marathon. Now, where did this idea come from? Um, I had actually seen a guy, Andrew Papp, who's one of my good friends now. I'd seen a video of him on YouTube running 250 kilometers through the Simpson Desert in Australia. And um, I just thought it looked out of this world. I thought, how does someone possibly run 250 kilometers? And I thought, you know what, though, I'm, I'd be keen to have a go. And I'd always run a little bit. I'd run a few marathons and different things, but I'd never run something that far. But I thought that it would be a really great challenge. And I gave myself a year to prepare and train for that. Um, but as I started researching these races, I guess it opened up this whole new world to me of what ultra marathons are and what they're about. And um, yeah, I guess I haven't looked back since then. Yeah, it just really lit a fire in you, didn't it? And what did everyone else say and think? It well, when I first told my family, they were they thought I was pretty crazy. It took them a few days to come around to the idea of it. Um, and actually, just the other day, one of my friends said that you know three years ago when I mentioned I was going to be 
doing an ultra marathon, they just thought, wow, she really has lost it now. She's lost the plot. <laughs> um, so I was pretty on my own in regards to, um, I guess, the confidence in me having the ability to do it um, early on. All right. So you now have made history, which is incredible and you can pretty much rest on your laurels with that forever. So talk us through the the actual series of races that you decided to enter and have now completed, which have put you on that history scoreboard forever. So when I was researching the races, I then came across um, this company called Racing the Planet and they do races um, in the hottest, windiest, driest and coldest locations in the world. And they have a series called um, Racing the Planet Grand Slam and it's where you complete all four of those races in Africa, Mongolia, Chile and Antarctica in one year. And that was where it all sort of began and that was the first series, like race series I signed up for and um, after completing those four, I was the youngest female in the world to do that and um, continuing on from that, I realised that I'd fallen in love with the races and I wanted to continue on and do one on every continent. So then I decided to complete one in New Zealand and in America and then in Iceland as well. So um, I ended up finishing um, one on every continent. That is amazing. And let's just go back to the very first one that you did. Where was that and how long did it last? So the first one was in Africa. It was in the Namib Desert and it was 250 kilometres over six days and you carry everything on your back that you need for the week except for your tent and water. Um, so they're called multi-stage um, self-supported races and we were running about 40 to 50 kilometres a day and then there's always a long day on day three or four, depends on the format, and um, in this race it was 88 kilometres on that long day. Oh my goodness. And how that that was one of your toughest ones, wasn't it? I've read that you were kind of delirious and you were saying things like you were going to dig your own grave <laughs> and you <laughs> you really struggled with that one. That was a really tough one. Yeah, I I think my body kind of bonked at about 180k just because in training, you know, I'd gotten up to about 160k in my biggest week plus bike riding, working, um, carrying the pack, like all these things. But I'd never run physically more than 180K in six days before. Um, and so my body just went into this like shutdown mode. And mentally as well, I, I didn't really know how to deal with this physical pain and um, like the mental side of it. I just started getting quite negative with myself and I didn't know how to deal with that and how to change my perspective on what I was doing and where I was at. And I, I guess from that experience, I really took away what it is we say to ourselves on the daily, you know, that like inner voice in our heads, um, mm. are we our own biggest, you know, supporter, our biggest enemy? Yeah, you, you've said that you had hours and hours of time just to face up to your inner demons. That must have been hard. Yeah, oh, I think I was out there for 19 hours on the long day and about 10 hours of that was by myself. And, oh, I just, I, I think I've blocked out part of that um, time out there by myself because it's just in the Namibian desert, it was like 40 plus degrees, soft sand, no one else around for hours. And then it went into nighttime and it was dark and I was hot and cold and heat rashes and um, yeah, things couldn't get much worse, but I knew that quitting wasn't an option. So I just kept plodding along and I didn't care how long that day was going to take me. I knew that quitting wasn't an option. But Jackie, quitting is actually an option. People <laughs> quit all the time. So what is it about you that makes you so determined not to give up? I think especially because that was my first race and I still had another three to go that year. I knew that, you know, I was kind of putting all of my eggs this time, not with tennis, but with this I was, I was putting everything into these races to overhaul myself. And, you know, if I was going to quit in that first race when the going got really tough, I think for me it really symbolised like quitting 
um, in everyday life as well. Like if I'm going to quit, you know, at the first hurdle of something being difficult, then what is that kind of telling me about myself? So I needed to, yeah, really work hard to build that confidence within myself that, you know, I can do anything and um, when the going gets tough, it's just momentary. How did you do that? Did you do that by setting yourself tiny goals throughout the day? I think it was about like in the first race, I didn't really learn or I didn't really know this or have the skills yet. But as the races went on, I learned that you just have to, you can't even wake up in the morning and think, wow, I've got to run 60K today. You just, you just do the day. You don't think about it. And it's just each step. And as you get past each checkpoint, it's kind of like checking it off. Um, But yeah, just trying to really be present and not thinking about what's ahead, what's ahead. Otherwise you're just going to freak yourself out. And you mentioned before that inner critic, which we all have, and it's it always comes out, I find, whenever you're about to step out of your comfort zone and do something you've never done before. Um, and it's that little voice, I guess it goes back to that um, uh, lizard brain, you know, where our brain's just trying to keep us safe and um, stop us from getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, but it keeps us small, doesn't it? So how did you override that inner critic? The whole negative mindset and the inner critic, I still was falling back on that through the whole first race. I was a bit of a mess the last few days crying and just I remember one lady saying to me at a checkpoint, she said, stop crying, pull it together and get on with it. And (laughs) I guess that tough love was probably what I needed in that moment. Um, And I realised then that, you know, I'm hurting, everything hurts, um, but there's nowhere to run. Like I've just got to deal with it. So I might as well make the the most of my scenario right now. Um, And yeah, just by kind of realizing, I guess, that the horrible feeling was going to pass maybe in a few kilometers and I'd warm into it or whatever, um, I guess that helps. So yeah, I try and think of it even on an everyday basis back home now, you know, when you're feeling a bit flat or something, Usually after an hour or two of diving into your work for the day or whatever you're doing, it does pass. Mm, It always does, doesn't it? And you have to, I used to try and, I used to kind of beat up on myself when I had flat days or down days. And even now, like when I still get a bit of stage fright from time to time, I I used to kind of go into that, why are you feeling this way, Katrina? What are you, you know, and start to beat up on myself. But now I just accept it and know that it will pass. And that makes those feelings a lot easier to navigate. Yeah, for sure. And I think even just recognizing it and like even saying it, um, like if you're with someone, you know, they say, how are you today? And you're like, actually, I feel a bit rough today or um, today's not a great day. Like you're actually, I think just um, acknowledging it can sometimes kind of take the weight off your shoulders and it's okay to actually be honest about it. So for you finishing that first race, the toughest one in the desert, did you then know that, okay, I've pretty much been through the worst of it from here on in. I know I can do that. I just have to put my head down and do it. Well, I only found out um, a little while ago that everyone, my friends and everyone thought, oh my gosh, Jackie's not going to get through this next race. Like that first one was so bad for her. (laughs) We don't think she's going to be able to get through that again. Um, Yeah, I remember in the second race having snippets of, you know, those tough times pop up again for me. Um, And it was going to be very easy to kind of head down the same sort of um, path in the second race of having like really long, terrible, painful days. But I kind of recognized the little telltale signs that I was battling and I'd team up with other people or I'd try and switch my mindset. So I guess I just learned little things from the first race. Yeah. Gosh, that's so clever. Um, we should talk about some of the less glamorous aspects of the of the <laughs> races, such as you lost eight toenails. Yes, I lost eight toenails in that first race. I lost about three during the race, and then for the coming weeks, they just kept dropping off and off. And oh. it was um, it was pretty <laughs> gross. And like, not to mention that during the week out there, you know, you're not showering. You have pretty much one set of clothes. And you're sharing a tent with about six other people, seven other people. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that uh, yeah, you could definitely get through a lot after experiencing something like that. The other thing is um, 
I understand in Antarctica, as you were running, you fell through a soft piece of ice into the water. Yeah, that was on day one and it was only about 15 kilometres in. It was on part of the, oh, it was about 13 kilometres in. It was part of the first loop and um, it was some soft snow and then underneath was a thin ice sheath and other people had run through it but obviously it had gotten a bit softer from them running through it and um, I just went straight through it like quicksand and I was soaked up to about my chest height and I tried to move to pull myself out of it but I couldn't I just kept sinking lower and panic definitely kicked in for a small moment there and it was just the shock of it and the thought of being wet for you know I've got another 11 hours running ahead of me or whatever it was. Um, And one of the guys luckily ran over and he had to stand over the edge on the hard ice and pull me out with my pole. But um, I was freaking out a little bit until one of the guys was running beside me and he was, he's a 45 year old guy and he was having an absolute sook about his, um, his feet and his knees getting wet. And I just turned to him and smiled and I said, are you kidding me? I said, I'm soaked (laughs) up to my chest, like suck it up, you're fine. And I think just that little moment of of seeing him battling so bad and he was only wet up into his knees, it was kind of a bit of a humorous moment um, that, yeah, I guess changed my mindset on that experience. Actually, that's something I'd love to to dive a bit deeper into. For you, having experienced uh, so many people alongside you pulling out, quitting or having meltdowns, is there a trait that you can now spot in people who dig deep and make it through? I think it's about... It's interesting because sometimes the really top strong competitors who are the utmost, most prepared, um, top athletes. Sometimes it's those people who will pull out quicker than some of the other people purely because they have the bar set so high for them. So if they start getting a niggle or something and they're forced to slow down, they, you know, they're there to compete at a certain level and they won't cop it. They won't cop like, not being able to compete at their best with this like little injury. Um, But I guess it's, I guess it comes down to why people are there and how bad they want to do it and their own personal reasoning for it. And I think some people might sign up for some of these races on a bit of a whim, but if it's not their own personal goal or um, yeah, their own deep seated reason why they want to be there, then usually you're not going to be able to complete it. Has it ever surprised you when you've looked at someone and seen them kind of um, shift in mindset over over a number of days? Has it surprised you to see who makes it and who doesn't? I, I think after doing so many of them now, I usually have a fairly good idea but of, you know, who's going to make it or whatnot. Um, but the probably the most impressive one I saw was, yeah, one of these top, top competitor guys in New Zealand. He hurt his knee and he he probably could have just pulled out because, you know, he was coming second. But he decided to continue on and just hike and shuffle and jog the rest of it. And he was the last person in just before cutoff time every day for the next four days. And he was still in high spirits and, you know, he actually had a newfound appreciation for the people who are at the back of the pack because there's a massive difference. You know, if you're coming in the top 20, um, I might complete it in five hours, whereas those people at the back, they're out there for 10 hours. So it's almost a totally different race for them. Is it hard to, when you come back to reality and you're seeing people whinging about, you know, the small stuff in life, once you've been in an environment like that and you've seen people push to the absolute limit of what's possible, is it hard to kind of make that adjustment? Um, I think it's quite it's quite easy even for myself to fall back into the environment um, and what you surround, who you surround yourself with and um, what you're doing and it's almost like a totally different person at those races. Yeah, not sweat the small stuff like you were saying. But, yeah, it's very environmental. So once you start just diving back into life back home, you have to almost keep an eye on yourself not to um, get back into that. But I think it's that the whole connection thing is probably the hardest part is you're out there for the week connecting with 
like-minded people on such a deep level and you know there's no you're not connected for the week you're off your phones and emails and you're just having the most amazing connection and chats with these people I think it's hard to then get that when you get home yeah now one um one recent uh, I guess um other path that you've decided to go on is motivational speaking tell us about that and is that something you ever imagined you'd be doing I remember sitting down with you probably six months or so ago and um, I I was saying to you, I kind of just fell into it really. It was definitely not something I ever planned on doing Um, and it's quite intimidating for me, you know, getting up there and speaking to a room of 500 people and trying to really think about what can I say that they're going to get the most out of this you know it's not actually about me getting up there and talking it's about them and um, how I can help through my story Um, and yeah it's something I'm still working on and I probably need to work on my confidence with that. But you've already got the right idea with that because a lot of people, you know, as as you would know, public speaking is the, uh, I think, the biggest fear in the world. And some people even would prefer to die than to get on stage and deliver a speech. And I think that's because we're all so caught up in how are people going to think about us and what have I got to say that's going to be of any interest and I'm just going to look so nervous and we kind of focus on all of those things instead of focusing on how we can add value and what we can sort of contribute to others in making it an act of service I guess instead of it all just being about us and what is the message because a lot of us will never run an ultra marathon but what is the big thing that you find really connects with people about your story I think the um uh I think my story I guess it's quite like it's authentic in the way that I tell it um you know when I get up there I really am just me <laughs> and yeah. um and um I would say that like the message in it is like keep trying to find what it is that really makes you tick and finding what um, you feel like your purpose is. And, um, yeah, you can just keep having a crack at heaps of different things until you get to it. And it's going to be probably a rocky path to get there. But, um, you know, don't give up on trying to find, yeah, that main thing. What would you say to young Jackie about that, about, getting there because being you've been purpose-driven for for most of your life ever since you were a little kid I think if you dive in head first into something and you just give it all you've got and you um, put 100% effort into it you might not land where you think you're going to but if you're putting in all this effort and trying really hard you're going to land somewhere good you know you if you at least set yourself some goals and head in a certain direction you're probably going to get a little bit lost along the way but at least you're heading somewhere rather than just kind of flailing around (laughs) yeah and for you having the confidence to tell your story in such an authentic way did you initially worry about going public with the story of the the addiction and and you know facing your inner demons and admitting that you have had some really low moments? Yeah, definitely. Even um, as you were talking about earlier, the story on the weekend, I said it was really confronting for me to read, and um, you know, I, I rang my parents straight away, and I was worried what they would think. And um, I, even though it had been said before, I think just the different way the story was written it was really um hard for me to read parts of it um thinking wow that I guess that is me and my story but I think it's a real concern how many people out there are struggling with you know addiction and mental health and don't speak up or don't have anyone really ask them um and you just can't pick it these days on who is struggling you know um people think that I'm the happiest smiliest person all the time but yeah, you just never really know what someone's going through behind closed doors. Yeah, and on social media we all put up such a glossy veneer of what our life is really like and then we all sit around comparing ourselves to these impossible ideals, which is not even really what's going on for people. Um, what's your relationship like with social media? I uh, I think, yeah, comparing to others is probably the 
biggest red flag for me with my mental health. If I start comparing and looking at what other people are doing all the time and, and obviously I'm, yeah, I'm comparing to this shiny glossed up version that I'm seeing. Um, then that can be, um, a quick way to feel pretty bad about yourself. Um, social media, I definitely am aware of if I'm getting caught up in it. I actually last week, um, deleted Instagram for five days and it just kind of re-centered me a little bit and made me realize, um, you know, how much I was using it or what I was thinking when I was, um, looking at other people's photos or whatever it was. So I'm just quite self-aware with social media and stuff now. And if I feel like I need a break, I'll take a break for a few days. That's incredibly self-aware, Jackie. Well done. And I should point out that the way we initially met was we were at a um, a charity event for the White Cloud Foundation, which you've raised something like $25,000 for them. Is that right? Yeah, I think just under that. Yep. That's amazing. And we were um, abseiling down uh, cliffs in Brisbane, Kangaroo Point Cliffs for charity, which was a big deal for me, probably not so much a big deal for you. (laughs) (laughs) But is that that kind of affiliation where you're running for a bigger purpose, has that kept you accountable to your goals as well? Yeah, I think definitely being, you know, associated with the White Cloud Foundation has um, been something quite meaningful to me. And i think that their message is um, really bang on in regards to they think that for someone to be healthy, they don't just need, you know, their physical health and mental health. They also need their social and emotional well-being. And it's kind of all four pillars encompassed into one. And I think that is super important because I can dive headfirst into a sport and be really fit, but am I foregoing my social, um, social life and different things like that as well? So it's about having that balance. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our time together. So I'm going to chuck a few really uh, rapid fire questions at you. Um, What would be your number one quick confidence hack for when you really need to dig deep, whether it's before getting up on stage and telling your story or at the beginning of a big race? I think just sign up or say yes, or just go and do it. You know, even if you don't think you're quite qualified or not experienced or prepared enough, um, females, especially they struggle to say yes and do it until they think they're 110% um, prepared for it, but you've just got to dive in and go for it. I love this. There is definitely a confidence gap between the genders and that is something I am so keen to address because women, we feel like we need to be perfect before we go out and do the thing and men just go out and do it and uh, they they don't care about being perfect and, and I think we need to adopt more of that philosophy. 100%, yeah. Is there a book you've read or a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey? I actually was, because you were talking about Brene Brown to me the other day, and I've actually read um, two of her books. Um, but the her TED Talk, the vulnerability TED Talk, that really spoke to me. And um, I can't remember the exact name of her uh, first book that I read. Um, but I love everything that she does and everything that she stands for. I think it's really interesting. She speaks in a way that everyone can understand. Yeah, her Netflix special is also amazing if anyone gets the chance to watch that. that just You just feel instantly better about everything if you watch that. Um, now, what would others describe as your most annoying habit, Jackie? Oh, my most annoying habit, probably that I am, I'm quite full on and I'm always go, 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 go. <laughs> Which is a good thing in a competitive sport. <laughs> yes. Or if I get an idea, um, I'll, if I'm chatting to someone who's maybe going to be a videographer for one of my races or projects or something, um, they are going to cop a whole heap of spam with me just thinking of, crazy different ideas and um, concepts and different things. And yeah, I just get really excited. (laughs) No, I love that. That's not annoying at all. Uh, What's your secret superpower? And to give you some context, my secret superpower, because this can be anything, my secret superpower is I'm a gun at hanging pictures on the wall. I never need to measure between them. I never need to like mark them out. I can just bang a hole in the wall and get it right straight away. What's yours? Um, I would say my, I probably have two. It's, um, probably my skipping. 
I was in the school skipping team, so I love being a show-off. Oh. Um, I can't help myself, and I can whip out all these really bizarre skipping tricks and um, <laughs> and also juggling, but juggling three items, like three random items. So I can juggle a shoe, my car keys, and my phone at the same time. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> Good, Good useless party trick. Party trick. <laughs> now, what do you do? Because I know a lot of your day is spent preparing and training and um, doing various things for charity, but what do you do just for pure joy that doesn't have any sense of achievement attached to it? I honestly love um, having coffee with friends. Um, yeah, super simple stuff like having coffee with friends or going surfing um, and I find that, especially when I'm surfing, you can kind of replicate those amazing connections that I get in the desert races. Um, there's something about doing like an activity with someone um, that kind of breaks down all those barriers and walls um, compared to just, I guess, sitting across from each other and having a chat. So yeah, I just absolutely love um, having a deep connection with someone. Oh, that's beautiful. And finally, I would love for you to finish this sentence. In 10 years from now, I'd love to be? Um, I would love to be at the peak of my ultra running in 10 years. I'm 25 right now and apparently females don't hit their endurance peaks till they're 35. So I hope to be at my absolute, um, yeah, peak. That's amazing. Watch this space world. <laughs> that wraps it up, Jackie. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. What an incredible woman. I always feel so inspired talking to Jackie and seeing how she goes the extra mile. Obviously, no pun intended there. Not only with everything she does, but also how she has a mission of bringing others up with her by being so vulnerable with her struggles and now all the incredibly important work she's doing in the mental health space. Jackie's story is one of true grit and determination of looking your darkest days square in the face and refusing to let them drag you down. And even though most of us will probably never attempt an ultra marathon, I think there are some mindset lessons we can all take away from her experience that might let us see whatever hurdles we're facing a bit differently, or even make us think a bit differently about how no matter what circumstance you're in right now, it's never too late or too impossible to turn things around and go after your purpose. If you found some inspiration in this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you hit subscribe now and leave a five-star review. And because we are a brand new podcast, I would be so grateful if you can help us get some cut through and get the word out there by taking a screenshot, sharing and tagging Jackie at Jackie A. Bell on Instagram. And of course, me, Katrina Blowers, or the Instagram account, Claiming Your Confidence. And please share this episode with anyone you know who would benefit from hearing Jackie's story and her incredible confidence tips because courage really is contagious. I hope you're having a great week. Until next time, thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.